Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker and I'm your host. Selling a piece of jewelry like an engagement ring or wedding set can be a nightmare, but Worthy is a selling partner you can trust to work with you and for you to get the best deal on your piece. And if you're thinking it's not worth the hassle, remember that your diamond engagement ring can be the financial asset that allows you to embrace that fresh start after divorce. Worthy helps you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get a $100 gift card when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy. I'm Mandy Walker, and I'm your host. For this episode, we're talking about toning down the conflict in co-parenting. And I deliberately say toning down because I don't think it can ever be eliminated, even in the best cases. We're humans. We have different points of views. We're going to disagree. But for your children's well-being, it's vitally important to manage and to resolve those disagreements. That is not always easy, but here to give us some advice is Dr. Dina Stacer, the Director and Facilitator of the High Conflict Intervention and Co-Parenting Program. Dr. Dina teaches skills, strategies, and scripts to help both parents and children get out of the middle of the conflict. Welcome, Dina. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you on this. I thought maybe a good place for us to talk would be about what is the motivation for someone to tone down the conflict? I mean, I understand that for me personally, like for most of us, being in a place of conflict is stressful and it's not the place that we really want to be. But the motivation is really about the children and the benefit to the children, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons. I've been teaching these classes for 25 years and I started out learning on my own case. And I had so much trouble understanding how to end a high conflict case because it's not intuitive. It's not something that I was raised. I wasn't raised around conflict. I didn't have the tools and I didn't understand how I could have kids with somebody and continue struggling with the fight. So that was the first piece was I was desperately looking for help. I got lucky. I had a mentor that worked with me for 21 years. And so first thing he said to me is, do you know that every single time you hear the other parent's voice or see their face, it takes a minimum of three days to calm down. Now, when you think about that, that means lights on, no one's home for the kids. So we want to get out of the conflict for our children because we don't want them messed up. That's why people are fighting. But no one really understands until I explain that and they go, oh my gosh, you're right. Because they're spinning, which is what I call it, emotionally, it's in their breathing, it's in their you know tone of voice, it's in everything. They cannot concentrate on being 
with their children, present for their children, because they just had a face-to-face exchange, or they just had a huge email that came through, or a text, or they had to do some counseling together, or they had an exchange at the school, or an open house, whatever it is. And so, I really recommend that in order to tone down the conflict, one, we understand that the impact is it takes a minimum of three days. So try not to have face-to-face communication and contact. And if you do, make it limited. Try not to engage and run like the Dickens when you're done. (laughs) Get out as fast (laughs) as you can because of that impact. So that's the first one. The second one, as most people may read all over the internet and stuff, it is really not the divorce that impacts kids. It's the ongoing conflict. And if one parent is distracted, that means the other parent is distracted or one of them is always distracted. So who's raising the kids? So we need to really be focused on one parent stepping up, learning the skills, how to end the conflict, reduce the conflict, and learn how to be what I call a gold medal parent. So do you think that it's how big an impact can you have on reducing the conflict when it's only one person who's really interested in reducing it? Well, that's my flagship. And that is, I found it only takes one parent. And all the years I've been teaching 25 years, these classes, when one parent gets it, now that parent has to be a very emotionally skilled parent. They have to be the kind of parent that most parents are who get into this conflict and can't figure it out. Then there's usually another parent who isn't as skilled. So that one parent, if they learn how to disengage from the conflict, if they learn how to get into their kid's imagination, what I call stringing pearls, if they follow the rules and they really shift how they look at the case, right? Their case is all about them learning how to end it, not expecting the other parent to end it. As long as they keep blaming the other parent, they'll never end it. So it's really a shift. And it's sometimes people are like, yeah, but they're the ones that are the problem. I know, but you're the one that can end it. And when they get that, that is when we see a shift where they they become much better parents. They let go of trying to get the other parent to change, win, argue, apologize, be better, step up, whatever it is. Okay. I might have another question on that in a minute, but I, I thought what would be interesting, what I'm interested in hearing is what the underlying, if, if you've seen a common underlying cause of the conflict between parents, is it fear of losing contact with your child, your child, fear that your child's going to like their other parent more than you, or a genuine concern that your child may be harmed by the other parent? What drives that need or that? that That's a 30-minute discussion. <laughs> okay, so there's several reasons. Number one, anxiety drives conflict. That's the whole reason we have to give people a timeout. So three days recovery time, right? So number one is if you're not having face-to-face communication and conversations, seeing them, et cetera, that helps calm down. So there's less. Number two, I have discovered that there's usually a high conflict person in these relationships, one good parent, one parent that has 
trust issues, actually never learn to trust. They don't trust anyone. They don't even trust themselves. They might have narcissism, personality disorder, substance abuse issues. They are driven to keep the conflict going because they were raised in conflict, craziness, and chaos. And then number three, the fear of losing the love of their children and their children being messed up by the breakup, by the other parent, or by the way the system is set up. So that's three. That was real quick. Right. It wasn't 30 minutes. No, it wasn't. But that, that's good. But I think that's really helpful to understand why that, you know, the, the cause of the conflict, because it's not really, it manifests in all of these practical decisions that parents yeah. have to make, but there's an right. undercurrent, there's an undertow that's pulling yeah. it along. I am not a mental health professional. I do a lot of work with post-divorce people and in, in some high conflict situations and in terms of what you were talking about, about narcissistic behaviors and that I, I'm always, my training is to worry less about the diagnosis. And oftentimes there hasn't been a formal diagnosis, but focus on the behaviors. And that's what right. to look for. Yeah. I, I have a thing I call breaking patterns and that's really breaking the behaviors. And one of the things that happens in high conflict situations, again, if you're working with a high conflict parent, the high conflict parent doesn't have emotional intelligence. They don't have insight. They lack emotional empathy. So you're not going to be able to get them to change, which is why it's great news. You only need one parent. That's the greatest news ever. A lot of times parents who take my online class are like, I was so relieved to know it only took one. So that's number one. Number two, the one parent that can change, they have the capacity they might take a while to get their mind wrapped around, okay, I have to stop waiting for them to change, but they can do amazing things to engage with their children and that calms the kids down. So when you're calm, kids calm down. But what I've learned is that a high conflict personality and whether they're diagnosed or not, maybe they're just super, super stubborn, right? That is actually a way to escape being called out. If I'm stubborn, you don't have to know I can't do it because I just look stubborn. Right. But what I found is I'll give you my definition of cooperative co-parenting, conflictual co-parenting. Cooperative co-parenting are two parents that believe the other parent has the best interests of the children at heart, and they believe the other parent's important in the kid's life. Those are two parents that are willing and able, capable of being willing, capable of being able to make decisions together and supporting those decisions so that the child has continuity. Number three, both parents believe that the other parent should have a quality relationship with the other parents so they support it. They actively support it. And number four, those parents need very little court time. They just right. need to know what do we tell the children? How do we break up and what's the best schedule? And how do we move on with their life? And you may even have a parent that's got some issues. They're not a great parent, but they both believe the other parent's importance. They do the they do the right thing. So that's cooperative co-parent. I don't work with those people. 
They don't need you. <laughs> they don't need me. I maybe mean, they, if, maybe they need you in the beginning or, you know, yeah, walking the, through the initial stages they do. And you know, how do we tell the children? And so I'll give them stories and do some other stuff. But for the most part, those people need very little help once they get the foundation of what they need to do. And I'll teach them some of the strategies to make sure their fear is low. But the co- conflictual co-parenting definition, this is mine, is one or both of the parents believe the other parent has a personality disorder, substance abuse issues, is detrimental to children in some way. All right. So that's number one. And everybody in my class, when I ask them, they all raise their hand. Yes, the other parent has that problem. Um, Number two, one or both believes the other parent does not have best interests of the children at heart. Three, one or both parents believes the other parent is not important in the children's life. Four, they need to seek help from the court system. When they get it, one of them doesn't follow the rules anyway. And five, the one of the parents, mostly one of the parents, will do whatever it takes to undermine the children's relationship with the other parent. A whole different ball of wax. Those are the people I work with. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if that helps in terms of the differential. Yes. And I think probably talking more about your conflictual co-parenting here, mm-hmm. I have also heard the term parallel parenting yep. versus co-parenting. Yep. And I think in my mind, conflictual parents are parallel parenting, or the more that the more conflict there is, the more they, they parallel parent, which means right. that you're limiting the things that you're cooperating on and yep. need to communicate about. Yeah. So The way I look at parallel parenting is parallel parenting is a must do for people who can't get along. And every time they see each other, they're having some issue. They starky comments, writing emails, you name it. So parallel parenting, the way I define it is what I call mom's world, dad's world. So what goes on in mom's world, even if it's a gay couple, mom and mommy or dad and daddy, whatever. But in that world, we have clearly one parent that's in the whatever realm, two opposite parents, mom's world, dad's world, easiest way to describe it. What goes on in that world is your rules for homework, your rules for bedtime, your rules for chores, the way you have traditions, how you celebrate holidays, your religious beliefs, you know, after school activities, you name it. It's all that parent's world. And then the same with dad's world. So each parent can establish their own set of rules. The only time they really need to have some help is if they have to make decisions that they can't agree on. And usually it's, sometimes it's religious, a lot of school, a lot of medical. Those are the two biggest, biggest ones, because you can always take kids to a different church, but you can't take kids to two different schools and you can't have an operation, not have an operation. So those are the ones that sometimes you're going to need somebody to step in to make decisions. And that's when maybe somebody will get sole decisions decision-making about that. But here's what I tell people about mom's world, dad's world. When you're in mom's world, dad's world, because we want to stop communicating, stop trying to co-parent, you don't need the other parent to approve of your decision-making. And when a kid says, we don't have to do that in my mom's world, right? Or mom's world. And then dad can say, I understand that that's in mom's world. But when you're with me and that's out of love, when you're with me, 
we're going to do homework this way. When you're with me, we brush our teeth this way. When we're, you're with me, we go to bed at this time. And so kids go, oh, I'm going to tell mom, you can, but that's in mom's world. And so it eliminates the parent going, well, I'm just going to call mom and make sure that she agrees with me because now we have another reason to fight. Right. So that's why I call it that. And it eliminates kids being in the middle because kids adjust to a different teacher in every period at school. Absolutely. And that I have made that point to parents when they've like said, oh, but there's two different rules. I said, that's yeah. not a problem because kids know they have different rules yeah. with their teachers at school. They have different rules with their sports activities. They have different rules with other extracurricular activities. Yeah. As long as the rules are expectations are spelled out clearly. Yeah. Now I do have a funny story. Well, <laughs> I you had... know what, and Dina, we're, I'm gonna we're gonna take a short break, and Perfect. then I'd like you to tell your funny story when we come back from the break. That's good. So, this is my guest today is Dr. Dina Stacer, the director and facilitator of the High Conflict Intervention and Co-Parenting Program. Dr. Dina teaches skills, strategies, and scripts to help both parents and children get out of the middle of the conflict. We're going to be right back. So do stay tuned for more strategies and tips and for that funny story Dr. Dean is going to share with us. Moving past divorce is hard enough without your old engagement ring staring you in the eye every time you open your jewelry box. With Worthy, you'll find a selling partner who will help you transform your rings from dusty relics of hard times to a financial asset to help you start fresh. Worthy takes care of everything from insurance coverage to secure shipping, professional grading, and more. So when you're ready to sell, partner with Worthy. We're ready when you are. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Welcome back to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle. I'm your host, Mandy Walker. And in this episode, we're talking about toning down the conflict in co-parenting. My guest today is Dr. Dina Stacer. She's the director and facilitator of the High Conflict Intervention and Co-Parenting Program. And Dr. Dina, before the break, you said that you had a funny story to share with us and maybe it was related to like mom's world dad's world and two different sets of rules and children adapting to that years ago i had a very a very high conflict case and my husband was ended up becoming the attorney for the mom and long story short dad comes to my class first And he comes in and I'm talking about mom's world, dad's world. And when the kids are with the other parent, it's like you go into a cocoon, right? You're not, you're out getting better to bring it back to your children. You go out and you find joy, you bring it back to your children. You go out and you find laughter and humor and that energy you bring back to your children, right? So what you share with your children improves the quality of your relationship. If you share pain, you get more pain. So I teach my normal mom's world, dad's world, like I explained earlier. And then mom comes into the class several months later and she says, you know, I almost didn't come to your class. And I'm like, okay, why? And she says, well, she says, my son, who's 13, dad told my son who told me, you know, that teacher said that when you're in my world, mom's dead. 
<laughs> so she says, I thought, can you teach that? And I, I started laughing. I'm like, that is not what I said, you know, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I tell that story a lot because people are like, yeah, that's kind of what it feels like. Well, with people in conflict, they'll say all sorts of stuff, the things they say, and they'll say so-and-so said it. And it's not that I said it, it's how he interpreted it because he just couldn't stand mom. The good news is that dad ended up getting out of the crazy relationship he had been in so he could have more conflict with a new wife against that one. But mom stopped responding and the, the boy ended up being with her. It was a sad moment when mom you know, couldn't stand this guy. And it ended up that she said to me later on, when I realized how to end the conflict, I was really sad that my son stopped having a relationship with his dad. So who would have thought when a guy says that kind of stuff that later on the child is grieving the loss of his dad because dad decided to go fight custody with someone else after he split up with the second wife. Wow. Anyway, but the you know mom's dead. I almost didn't come to your class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, so that was a good one. You know, we were talking earlier about the the fears that underline the current that flows through co-parenting relationships or parenting together after divorce. And I think, you know, some, they do play out in practical everyday parenting issues like volunteering at school, kids' haircuts, equipment for extracurricular activities, sharing of expenses. It's almost like you name it, it can be a reason out. to argue. <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I have seen parents get very frustrated when the other parent who has not really been involved in the logistics of all the parenting, they've been busy working, but after the divorce, they now have shared parenting time and they want to get now involved in the children's activities that they've never been involved with before. I want to be at the doctor's appointments. I, I want to volunteer at school. So there's this shift in involvement in the children, which is difficult for the parent who's been maybe the primary caregiver before right. then. What do you suggest about how to handle that sort of scenario? Well, for the good parent, that's what I'll call it right now, him or her. Um, the good parent is thrilled in cases where both parents can step up. They're thrilled that that parent got a wake up call. Unfortunately, we also have the other side. And that is where one parent was not a primary parent. And then they step up and then they get more time. And then they have a new girlfriend or somebody else take care of it. So those are the ones that are complicated. And again, you have to learn to let go as much as you can if the children are not harmed. Number two, you have to what I call string pearls in your world to make sure that your kids are getting the best of the world from you. And then you have to figure out if that other parent is really involved because they're trying to get back at the other parent or they're truly there for the children. And those, of course, those are high level complicated situations. Sometimes they need court to resolve it and that kind of stuff, too. But again, part of this shift is, wait a minute, I've been the primary parent here and now this person's taking over or better yet, he, I'll say in this case, he marries a woman who now somehow rather becomes the new mother. We're not, not going to call you a mother anymore. We're going to call stepmom mother. And those are what I call high conflict triangles. 
So that's introducing a whole nother stuff, but those are, I mean, I can't promise there's any specific answer that works. Every case has some different scenario to it, but there are some commonalities and that is one, the parent that's been the primary parent, they often struggle with letting go of the time. If the other parent, it's more about possession, not about being a better parent. So that's a whole other conversation on that one. But again, the stuff I teach, stringy pearls with the kids, the eight steps of empathy, building an oak tree forest, building a fortress, all of those pieces are all about anchoring the children in that particular parent's world so that the kids have stability, the parent's present, they're stringing activities for the future so they have something to look forward to. And then in the process where they're teaching them the skills to grow up and launch into the world. That's the whole goal of any parent's job anyway. But sometimes in conflict, people get distracted. And so we get them back on focus and have them do what they do on their time. So it sounds like focusing on being the best parent you can will help you build your confidence as a parent and your self-esteem and know that your relationship with your child, you're doing the, the absolute best you can to foster that and build that in a healthy way. Right. And you're not doing it alone. What you're doing is you're finding other people. So you're building your family, whether you have family there, you invent family, you invite people to become family-like. And so you reach out there and you find other people like grandparents that would adopt you. And you're not doing this. There's no way as a single parent, if you're this wonderful parent, you can do it alone, not in this world. And not if you've got somebody who's manipulative because they're better at practicing manipulation since they learned it from birth. So you have to build up a whole arsenal of people so that the great qualities are not just you doing it. It's all the people that are great quality people that are joining your world. And there's a whole way to do that too. Right. Wow. Another question for you. I, you know, I do some work with post-divorce families and what I've often seen is some of the, the, the disagreements on practical matters stem from not having a protocol or a methodology spelled out. And certainly here in Colorado, you can't get divorced without a parenting plan. Okay. But the quality of those parenting plans differs substantially. Yep. I've seen some court orders even that leave big gaps. And I think it's because the court doesn't have time to, to fill in those gaps. It might even be about how do you reconcile medical expenses or extracurricular expenses. So, you know, obviously it's best to try not to keep going back to court, but what do you recommend or suggest in those sort of situations? Well, first of all, um, the courts do not have the time to go in and minutely detail what needs to happen, but you really need court orders that are as tight as can be so you don't have to talk. So, for example, reasonable visitation is one of the worst things you can ever put into a court order because what's reasonable for one person is not reasonable for the other person. And maybe we just say, you know, you should never have the word reasonable in a parenting. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, phone calls between the other parent when they don't yeah. have parenting time. So, have, you know, be for a reasonable duration. Yeah. Well, what is reasonable? Yeah. And I can tell you that a lot of times in these high conflict cases, one of the parents is never reasonable. 
whether it's the parent that has the kids or the other person that's trying to be with the kids, it's, you know, that word is a horrible word because it leaves it so much to trauma and conflict. Um, another one is that you got to clarify when is the pickup, where is the pickup, when are the holidays happening very clearly, because if you leave it up to the parents in these situations, they will start off with conflict and have more. And then somebody has to step up and decide who's going to be the decision maker. And when one person has more, some people, there is a court order, but it's, it's not specific. And so then they go, well, I decide. So I had one time that they had a pickup and a drop off at the home. And then on Thanksgiving, a father texts me and he goes, help me. She just came down the driveway. There was a two, you know, up door, down and down driveway. She came down the driveway and I'm going up trying to figure out where she's going. I text her. She says, so YMCA. Well, why? I changed my mind. And so it was constant stuff like that. And so we had to go back in and clarify when dad's vacation time was. His court order was that dad got kids every other Friday and had to give a reason. She'd said, no. So he never got his Friday. So it's just that people in court often do not understand why conflict is driven the way it is. They think, oh, you ought to just learn to work together. Well, if they could have, they would have way long time ago. And so we just need to clarify and tighten up things. And you might need an attorney. You might need a parent coordinator. You might need somebody to do that. And then you might have to fight to get it in place. But that stops a lot of the, you know, having to talk to each other and the spinning and the arguing and the next, you know, text that comes in the next email that attacks and all that kind of stuff. Right. Right. Good point. Dina, we're almost up on time. And I know that we've just scratched. It's like every every podcast I do, it's just like you, you just like yeah. read the forward to the book and we don't, you know, there's not right. enough time to cover everything. I was kind of curious about um, of all the parents you've worked with, is there a story you can share about what is possible when you shift the focus onto the children? I'll tell you one, and this is a crazy story. It's it's really going on right now. I have a mom and dad. She does not have visits with her 13-year-old as of last year. It's been 10 months, but they have a five-year-old together and he's got special needs. And so one day she texted me this cute little story, a text, a picture of her boy. He's holding up his favorite little stuffed animal. And she tells me the story that he said to her, he announced one day, Lovey, his favorite stuffed animal, is having a birthday and he wants a party for her. And so she said, okay, understanding the string of pearls, what she did was she said, let's talk about what kind of birthday cake you want. And then they went on Pinterest and picked out different kinds of designs. The next day, not the same day, the next day, they went to the store and bought a box cake mix. The next day, they made the box cake mix and the child sat in front of the stove the entire time. And then the next day they decorated it and they had a birthday party for a stuffed animal. And she said, who would have thought that a box cake could have brought me closer to my son? And that's what I teach is how to become engaged a little piece on a day, next day, next day, because kids don't get time. 
And so that's just a short, quick story. I could tell you lots of stories, but that one's a great one for what happened was it impacted her paying better attention. And she realized when her daughter does get back to her, she'll be able to pay more attention to the teenager. That's a lovely story. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. You're welcome. And thank you, Dr. Dina, for being with us today. And and listeners, Dr. Dina is the director and facilitator of the High Conflict Intervention and Co-Parenting Program. And Dr. Dina, you have some online programs. I thought you could share the details with our listeners in case they're interested. Yeah, I actually have two options. I have parents in conflict. So it's parents with an S in conflict.com. And there are two classes there people can take. They're pre-recorded. And then I also have a live Zoom class every Tuesday night. Anyone can join that I teach. I usually have, you know, 15, 20 parents there. So they realize they're not alone and it's live. So I answer questions, teach strategies, people tell their stories. And so anyone from anywhere, it just depends on if you want to get on a class at midnight. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, and I'm building another program right now to move the one that's Parents in Conflict um, out. So that one's to be determined where it's going to end up. It's probably going to be coparentingsecrets.com. Cool. Well, thank you again. And listeners, you'll find all of Dr. Dina's contact information in the show notes, including the link to her online parenting education classes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Divorce and Other Things You Can Handle, a branded podcast from Worthy dedicated to celebrating women like you as you embrace a new beginning after divorce, separation, or whatever. Worthy is a selling partner with an online auction platform designed to help you sell your jewelry, such as an engagement ring or wedding set. When you decide to send your ring, Worthy takes care of the shipping and insurance to ensure that it arrives safely at our New York office. Once your jewelry arrives, the team at Worthy professionally cleans and photographs it before sending it out to a grading lab. All of these steps are designed to maximize your price in Worthy's online auction, where hundreds of buyers compete for your piece. One of the best parts of selling with Worthy is that you are completely in control. You'll work with Worthy's team to set a reserve price before the auction starts, keeping you in control of how much your ring sells for. If the highest bid comes in below that threshold and you decide not to accept it, we will send your ring back to you and we'll even cover the costs of the insured shipping again. Let us help you get the best deal possible for the jewelry you've outgrown. Are you ready to embrace your fresh start? Us too. And for a limited time, our podcast listeners can get an extra $100 to Amazon when they sell their jewelry with Worthy. Go to worthy.com forward slash podcast to learn more. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode of Divorce and Other Things in your weekly feed. If you like what you hear, rate and review us to help other women like you find us. This podcast is for you. So reach out to us at podcastworthy.com to let us know what you think and what you want to hear. We look forward to hearing from you. And you can also find more episodes at worthy.com forward slash podcast.